Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week is part three of our celebration of Doctor Who's 60th anniversary. So take it away. Well, this week we are reading Liberation of the Daleks. This is the Doctor Who magazine comic story that just finished coming out last week as we record this. So to be clear, we're recording this before the Children in Need special that's coming out very soon that may be a direct follow-on to this comic story. Possibly. Who knows? But yeah, this is this is the most recent Doctor Who story to be released. At the point when you'll be listening to this in early December, uh, there is going to be a like collected edition of this, but we are actually reading this out of my digital subscription to Doctor Who magazine. So as we look through this, we are looking at like the five to six pages of Doctor Who magazine that feature this comic over the course of 14 issues. This is also the biggest Doctor Who magazine comp story like ever published. Like they've never done a whole year that is just one story before. So this is a record breaker. I didn't even really think about that. Is it more or less a monthly publication? Yeah, it comes out once a month. And this is the first time they've had one of these go on this long. Uh, you know, normally there's a couple different stories every year. There's like three or four. And then, you know, they'll package those together and release that. And they like approximately match up with like the seasons of the show in terms of the characters who are in the TARDIS with the Doctor, but um, this is very unique in like a lot of ways. It's a very odd set of choices. I think overall, I I quite like it. I didn't make the mental connection that this had been running as long as it has then, but that makes sense. And yeah, in terms of quality, I think this is one of the better Doctor Who comics that we've read. And the other main candidate is one that we'll talk about it directly referencing, so. Yes. Uh, so, for new viewers, this is, or for people who don't know what this is, this is set directly after The Power of the Doctor, which was Jodie Whittaker's regeneration story. So this picks up immediately following her regenerating into a 15 years older than the last time he was on Doctor Who, David Tennant, who is now the 14th Doctor. And basically the Doctor immediately gets in the TARDIS, is like, huh, I look like my old self, and then proceeds to just not think about that for a while, because he picks up a distress signal and goes to Wembley Stadium. This is there's an extended bit here where he like knows a lot about old football. This is a thing that sometimes happens with the Doctor where he's just really into like an English sport. And when we say football, we do mean the sport that everyone calls football except for Americans. So the one that has any business being called football. Yeah. With regards to him just kind of being like oh, I look like I used to. I guess weirder stuff happens to him all the time, to be frank. His clothes change in the regeneration as well, which does make it feel even weirder than it does just, like, looking like the old face. 
I I think that there's going to be an explanation in the three specials we have coming up as to why this has happened. But who knows, to be honest. The the real world reason this has happened is because A, David Tennant's really popular, and B, they wanted to cast Shudi Gatwa, but Shudi Gatwa had to finish filming Sex Education and Barbie first. So they needed if they wanted anything out for the 60th anniversary, they had to figure something else out. And like also I think that the the germ of the idea for these upcoming specials originated as an idea and just bringing back David Tennant and Catherine Tate and doing something with them. So yeah, we have David Tennant again. Um, Weirdly for a lot of this comic to me, he feels like he's being written as the 13th doctor, which is a nice touch. Uh, Credit to Alan Barnes, which by the way, we should mention this is written by Alan Barnes and illustrated by uh, well, the arts by Lee Sullivan, colors by James O'Frady, Lettering by uh, Roger Landridge and edited by Marcus Hearn. Um, Alan Barnes doesn't write the 14th Doctor quite as the 10th Doctor. Like, if I was writing the 10th Doctor, I wouldn't... There's just a little bit of the intonation of this that feels very 13th Doctor, which I really like. Sort of the weirdness of this situation where we have this incredibly well-known actor coming back to the role, but the character should be in a very different place and should be a very different person than the last time he played the role. So I'm hoping that they specials continue to write this character this way and not as though just the 10th Doctor's back because this feels much more appropriate to me. Yeah, but uh, you've not actually seen any Tenth Doctor stories yet. You've only experienced the Tenth Doctor in comics I have handed you. Correct. So I guess you don't have the context for that. All I know is that he's the one who seems to be the most popular because he's the most conventionally attractive and less super weird looking, as many of them are wont to do. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that that might be why he's the most popular, to be honest. Um, I know Shudi Gatwa is getting a a lot of hype in part because of how good he looks. So, you know, I guess when the Doctor's really sexy, the show is just more successful. <laughs> Seems to be a huge part of the appeal. Yeah. But yes, the the there the tenth Doctor is at a random game of football in 1966 at Wembley Stadium in in um, London, I guess maybe it's a famous game in the context of classic English sport. Whenever the Doctor does this, I'm always just like, "What is happening?" It's the one thing I do not understand in Doctor Who is sometimes the Doctor's just like into cricket. Very odd. But as he's there, he discovers this group of aliens who are like using a psychic disguise to appear human. And he's convinced that they're there to watch the game. But then a giant spaceship shows up and a bunch of Daleks fly out of it. So the first thing I have to say is Lee Sullivan draws the best Daleks outside of the original 60s Dalek comics in terms of like an artist drawing Daleks for comics. I can also safely say that because nearly every Doctor Who magazine story featuring Daleks from the last 30 years has been drawn by Lee Sullivan. Um, When I was thinking about this yesterday, when I was going back through it, I was like, this really is the best they've looked since, say, the last time they were in a Doctor Who magazine comic nearly 20 years ago now in Children of the Revolution. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, Lee Sullivan drew Children of the Revolution 20 years ago. (laughs) The Daleks aren't in comics very often, but whenever they are, they're apparently drawn by Lee Sullivan and they look great. Yeah, these these look good in my non-expert opinion. So the other major Dalek comics appearance at this point that we haven't talked about that isn't like that's from the last decade is the Time Lord Victorious storyline in the Titan comics has some Daleks in it. And they're awful. The artists very clearly 
has a 3D like sketch fab model that is just being like not even being traced or drawn over in order to have consistency because Daleks are a weird fucking shape. And they have like these very specific, but also like very weird proportions. Like, I do think that for this comic, Lee Sullivan had a 3D model that he was tracing to get some of these, especially the new series Daleks, because they have all those finicky details that are hard to get right, but you kind of need to get right in order for them to read properly. So, like, I get it, but the Time Lord Victorious Daleks were just... A, the model was bad. It was a bad model. It was an inaccurate model that they were using, like, and that release was set with there was a bunch of releases at the time that were Time Lord Victorious. It was a cross media event that Doctor Who was doing, but every like per group that licensed says Doctor Who tied into it essentially. So there were novels, there were the comics, there was audio stories, there were other comics. They claimed that the live show and the video game were tied in. They weren't really, but like they they added the logo to them and said that they had they were related and we see that group of daleks in a they which have had 3d models made of them in a whole bunch of other things and somehow the comics still wound up with shitty ones now there could be time reasons whatever these daleks look fantastic every single dalek in this looks as good as a dalek has ever looked in a comic with the one exception of the 60s Daleks comics that we've previously covered on this podcast. Yeah, the aesthetic here, particularly in later chapters, feels, or not even just feels, is very clearly paying some homage to that last period of the Daleks with the with the straight-up super bright poppy painted aesthetic yeah we um we get a lot of very direct ron turner homage later which is the artist that's specifically aping i don't think anyone even thinks about those comics when they weren't drawn by ron turner because everyone who does anything that calls back to them just does the ron turner stuff and not any of the other stuff from those books with good reason like no disrespect to everyone else involved but that aesthetic is by far the highlight. Yeah. Yeah, the Ron Turner stuff is fantastic. Um, God, this comic's just nuts. So basically, we slowly find out that they're not actually in Wembley Stadium. This isn't a comic about the Daleks invading Earth in 1966. This is a comic about a Dalek-themed theme park in the future, where they project people into the minds of Daleks who are in these artificial realities where they are, like, invading Earth in the 60s or fighting King Arthur, or they just are the Daleks from the original Dalek 60s comic strip. What do you think of this as a, as a premise? It's easily one of the best premises in any of these comics we've read. Is obviously, you know, sci-fi, not at all realistic on a literal level, and yet also feels very thematically true, you know, like, almost satirical, the whole just, like, what is the absolute worst fucking thing that anyone could be doing to make money? People will do it, you know, and so just like extrapolating that to the sci-fi context of like, will companies do highly dangerous and ill-advised things to make a quick buck? Yes. Will they do that with things that are drawing upon historical atrocity and sort of turning that into a tourist attraction? Yup. Will they use literal fucking enslaved Daleks that are drugged up to be sleeping and unaware of what the hell's going on? Yup. And 
I think the premise is neat. Just this whole sort of like, what does tourism look like in this sci-fi future and all the ways in which it could be fucked up? I don't know how coherently I expressed what I was trying to, but yeah. No, no, that makes perfect sense. I really love this premise as well. It's a bit um, having your cake and eating it too. Because while the comic is obviously about how it's really bad that they've set this place up, isn't this dumb? At the same time, this comic is having absolute glee and being like, here's the Daleks from Remembrance of the Daleks. Remember when the Daleks looked like this? They're fighting King Arthur. We're going to draw that for two pages and it's going to be one of the coolest things you've seen. Um, Or, hey, remember the Daleks from the 1960s comics? We're going to even include lines that explain why those comics don't line up with any other Doctor Who media and the way that Daleks are portrayed now, we're going to explain that in this. There's a lot of the different like types of Daleks just like refuting each other and just constantly being like incorrect. Daleks are like this or Daleks are not like that as they just sort of, you know, they're all megalomaniacal and intrinsically only see things their way so when they see daleks acting in ways that don't adhere you know they're not into that they're not about that oh yeah the the best way to get a dog to stop trying to kill you is to point at another dalek and say that dalek isn't being daleky enough they hate that so this is a lot of what this is doing in terms of it's the way it's approaching these Daleks, and in fact, I'm fairly certain that the uh, the little info Daleks that are showing up that are like the crappy sort of badly shaped Daleks are directly based on 60s Dalek toys. So back in the 1960s, after the Daleks first appeared on TV, this thing called Dalek Mania happened, which is, I, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like Beatlemania for a reason. In the UK... Daleks were the fucking thing. There was a couple of years, there were Dalek songs, there was a Dalek stage show, you know, a bunch of shitty Dalek toys got released, none of which have the right shape. I mean, like, the info point Daleks in this, they're just very clearly, you know, they're just off. You know, I we had the 60 Dalek, 60s Dalek comics, which were Dalek comics that didn't feature doc- the Doctor in them. You know, the Doctor Who didn't matter, the Daleks did. And sometimes Doctor Who will do a story with the Daleks that is like, hey, Dalek mania is a bit odd, isn't it? While at the same time celebrating the Daleks itself in a way. Um, My favorite of those is there's an audio story called Jubilee, which uh, the TV episode Dalek is a loose adaptation of. But Jubilee is set in an alternate timeline where a failed Dalek invasion back in, I want to say, the 1890s or the 1910s, one of those. Anyway, big Dalek invasion fails and gets beaten back by the English Empire with the help of the Doctor. And because of this, the English Empire then forms itself around the idea of being superior to the Daleks. They fully buy into Dalek philosophy, just directed at, like, the English. They take over the world, um, and they run everything into the ground, and they are all obsessed culturally with Daleks and Dalek knickknacks. And, like, the insane ruler has one Dalek that he keeps trapped in a prison and they're torturing it because when they electrocute it, it leaks this liquid that then they collect and they sell for, you know, thousands of pounds as, like, Dalek juice. And, like, it's a fucked up little story. It's completely insane. It's brilliant. And that one... I think more directly underlines the like weirdness of, and and I say this as a big Dalek fan, the weirdness of being a Dalek fan, because Daleks are still metaphorical Nazis. And this similarly has the doctor show up at this place where they have all these dinky Daleks. 
they have like, oh, you know, you can see them fighting King Arthur. And he's like, the Daleks didn't fight King Arthur. This isn't even history. They didn't invade Earth in 1966. Yeah, there's the line where one of the workers tries to trot out a sort of educational excuse. And the doctor's just like, none of the shit is educational. Like, the Daleks did invade Earth. They invaded Earth in, like, 2160 or something like that, or the 2150s. Depending on which story about that invasion you're reading, the years will change a little. But, like, in the mid-2100s, pretty consistently in Doctor Who lore, the Daleks invade Earth successfully. And that's humanity's sort of first big meeting with the Daleks. And if you do any Dalek story that's set after that, Humans know what Daleks are. An early Dalek story before that, they don't know. But, like, yeah. This this is... I love it as a premise. It is, it is as I said, it is the ultimate having your cake and eating it too, in that we have all of this Dalek lore, all of these different Daleks showing up, all the different designs they've ever done. You know, the big villain of the first half of the book is the red supreme dalek from the series 4 finale which is an absolute fan favorite design like if you ask people what's your favorite dalek design half the time they say that one so it's fictional tourist trap as real fan service yeah yeah i mean you won't recognize a lot of the daleks appearing in this but for example later on in the story we get a glimpse of the doctor talking to all the Daleks um, in all the different zones. And, you know, right there you've got the... There's the Paradigm Daleks who are from 2010, which was a attempt at doing a big new redesign of the Daleks that really fell apart and nobody liked it. But, like, you know, they still have their fans. You've got the, TV, the movie Daleks from the Peter Cushing movies from the 1960s that were part of the original Dalek Mania wave where they made two theatrical movies starring Peter Cushing that were loose adaptations of those Doctor Who stories on TV featuring the Daleks, but where the Doctor is a human literally named Doctor Who, who built the TARDIS in, like, his backyard. And they're, like, fun run-around children's movie versions of these da original Dalek stories. You've got the Dalek Emperor, who you should look forward to. You've got um, the stained glass Dalek from one of the Doctor Who audios who is mostly famous just as like this image that people share online. You've got like an old Dalek from the comics back in the uh, 90s below them as one of the different Dalek emperors. Then obviously you have the Dalek emperor from Evil of the Daleks, the like 1960s show is the main Dalek, well, one of the, like, main three Dalek characters we see in this. These are all pulls. It's it's a real celebration of, like, Dalek history. I will say, it's very funny that I've shown you now three different Dalek things, and so far it's been the TV story Dalek, where there is one Dalek, and it's a very serious story. The 60s Dalek comics, which are, like, fun adventure stuff and then this which is aiming for that tone as well of like that sci-fi pulp tone you haven't experienced very many um serious dalek stories but i can tell you that that most of the time the daleks are played very straight <laughs> no one's having fun i think the metaphor would kind of require that yeah although again that bright poppy aesthetic is so eye-catching and engaging that it's not hard to understand why it would be so frequently gone back to. I love it. I, I mean, I don't think that the bright aesthetic necessarily stops the Daleks from being horrible. Like, the Daleks are still just acting like Daleks in this. They're still killing people. They're still, you know, obsessed with themselves and narcissistic and fascist. And they still have emperors. And, you know, they're doing all the Dalek things. It's just that we've turned the color up a little bit, you know, we're, we're going to make a joke about how Daleks look a bit dodgy because they do, they look quite silly. 
that's kind of part of the appeal of Daleks is that in a way, you know, there are direct, they, they are a metaphor for fascism and for Nazis especially, but also just like generally speaking, hatred, racism, all of those things. But at the same time, they're really fucking goofy. Like even the most serious Dalek story still kind of has to acknowledge that it is still an upside down trash can with a whisk and a plunger sticking out of it. Yeah, and I think the whole sort of Taurus trap aspect of the plot also lends itself to that sort of tension between the thematic concern and the aesthetic, you know, in terms of just like fascism and consumerism, all the links therein, just like oh, we are literally making a theme park out of this fascist empire that for purposes of the theme park is like not being presented in a educational, serious way. You know, it's like taking the aesthetics and sort of sanitizing them into a means of entertainment for money. So it's also just kind of getting at like I suppose the dangers of sort of sanitizing the aesthetics of a fascist movement, I suppose. Yeah, it's like, in-universe, this should look like the Holocaust Museum does in our world. You know, that that's the subject matter, essentially. The, the Daleks have, in-universe, genocided en masse. You know, on a level that, like, in our world simply doesn't exist because the Daleks have actually wiped out whole planets, and we've not quite managed that yet. But, you know, if you, if you take the metaphor seriously, the fact that they have, like, a world that is based on children's books about Daleks that existed before humans had even met Daleks, which is a hilarious way to explain the uh, 1960s Dalek comics. But, you know, that's just so deeply disturbing as a concept. I particularly love the photo op detail. We get frequent cuts, just like little brief glimpses throughout of this specific family of four. They're purple aliens. They are customers of, I don't know what the most accurate term technically would be since I guess it's not exactly a theme park but of this you know hologram apparatus and one built-in feature of this place is basically reminiscent of the cameras that are installed at theme parks where they just like flash at set intervals so that when you get off, if you want, your family can pay way too much money for a picture of everyone like going down the slide with their hair looking bad and half of them with their eyes closed and that sort of thing, you know, or to go back to the Holocaust Museum and just like the offensiveness of historical tragedy being referenced in certain ways you know it also made me think of periodically the main character of the day on twitter will be say like an instagram model who like took that day's photo op like at a concentration camp or at some other such site of you know significant historical events so that everyone can dunk on that person on Twitter and be like, what the bloody fuck is wrong with you? You know, that sort of just like lack of reverence or respect, I suppose, again, in a sort of shallow, aesthetic, self-serving manner. So we get these cuts throughout to like, the family of four aliens just sort of doing the group pose in front of the Mount Rushmore as the Daleks are actively attacking it and carving a Dalek in place of the presidents and things like that. I love that the Daleks put a Dalek on Mount Rushmore. That is, it is so stupid 
it makes no sense as to why they would do it. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm just like the silly level of just like, yeah, yeah, okay. I guess they would do that. But yeah, I, I really love the little social media posts, flashes that we get in the first half of this. Well, while the place is still functioning before it all uh goes to hell and you know, the Daleks all breaking out of their um sci-fi metal prisons made of it it doesn't really like there's a bunch of sci-fi explanations as to how they're able to manifest but basically all the daleks the different daleks from the imaginary dalek worlds that you can plug into are all being run by a group of 12 real dalek mutants that they have plugged into these machines and each dalek you know there's three different daleks that we sort of see find out that they're actually basically in the matrix and they break out of the Matrix and bring an army with them. Um, obviously, the best one is the final villain of the whole story, the Golden Emperor from the 60s Dalek comics. Maybe my favorite Dalek design of all time, the big old beach ball Dalek on just the like regular-sized Dalek body. The level of joy I felt when I opened up, when I got to the comic part, of issue 593 of Doctor Who magazine to see that the first page of the comic is set up to look exactly like the comics from the later years of the 60s Dalek comic. Like, right, the, the title is presented the same way with the four sort of orangey Daleks on a blue background with the white lightning bolts coming out of one of their eyeballs forming a red section which has the Daleks title down to the little the little square from all of those pages at the bottom of the page. Like all those one page stories had the there's the little square on the bottom of the magazine that used to be like I don't know why the fuck they had that on every single one of those comics, but they just did. And they've used it here for the credits. So that the rest of the page doesn't even have like the artist credits which just makes it more like those 60 stories. The way Lee Sullivan panels the pages when they are in that bit of the world for several pages is much closer to something like the paneling style that like Ron Turner used rather than like what Lee Sullivan uses in the rest of the book. It's great. I love it. And I love seeing, you know, the real tall Finn Daleks from that comic come back, as well as, of course, the shortest, squattest, roundest Dalek of all time. It's a high point of the story, yeah. I love that they brought the computer back. The dumb computer that the Emperor was constantly, like, going up to and saying, hey, what should I do, computer? He goes up to the computer's like, hey, computer, what should I do? I do love a ridiculous sci-fi computer that's always just like visually represented as just being super tall and bulky and in this case has two lights on two of its panels that are like yellow and circular and giving the vibe of eyes even though it's a computer it's just great fun um i also really like in these that they introduce a new kind of Dalek to the 2000, uh, to the, sorry, to the 60s lineup. There's like the one, the Hypno Dalek, or I, what do they, do they call him? The Hypno Dalek, or? I don't remember if they do, but that's certainly what I would call him, so. Yeah, with this utterly bizarre eye stock with this twisty pattern on it, and like a mohawk on his dome. Such a weird design. A cattle prod instead of the usual Dalek gun. Fantastic. I love a new Dalek variant, and this one is suitably insane to fit into this world. Like, all of this sounds really weird, but when you put him next to the big ball-headed Dalek Emperor, it doesn't come across as weird. It fits, yeah. Which part of the fun does come from whenever there is a Dalek who's just sort of weirdly different and off since part of the whole thing is that they all are supposed to look the same and act the same. So 
it's always striking when there's one that's an exception to that. I love how bad at conformity Daleks actually are. Like, even Daleks who are genetically engineered to not have their own thoughts, to be incapable of changing and being different. And yet every time we see them, they still wind up looking different. Like, the most consistent Daleks have been, aesthetically, is the new series of Doctor Who. And that's actually because of fan reaction to a redesign attempt, and not actually that the show itself still hasn't tried to redesign the Daleks multiple times since 2005 anyway. And even then, we have, like, so many plots in the new series have been about, oh, this Dalek has decided to be different, and so all the other Daleks are going to try and kill them. Uh, like, that's happened multiple times. It's it's great. They're all just such hateful little shitheads. Yeah. Uh, going back to the fan service, I did forget to mention, so at one point we see the, like, where is it? There is the announcer in the Dalek dome who's, like, on the um, the intercom, and he calls himself the voice of the Daleks. That character is very clearly visually modeled on Nicholas Briggs, who actually does voice the Daleks for Doctor Who and for the audio stories, and has written them a bunch for the audios. He's like one of the main producers of Big Finish, who make all the Doctor Who audios. Why is that page? Why can I not find it? That doesn't matter. So I, I I like that since this is so long, they can sometimes just take a couple of pages to do a silly gag. Like, the thing about a lot of Doctor Who magazine comics is they don't have the time to do a lot outside of just the main plot. But this has so many little sideways moments and gags. It's it's a lot of fun. Has there ever been just, like, a gag-style Doctor Who strip? You know, like a newspaper, comic, humor sort of thing? Yes. Uh, in fact, if you go back to the beginning of any of these Doctor Who magazine issues, there's normally one in the first, like, couple pages. Ah, yes, the Daft Dimension. The, that normally, uh, it's on page nine in the one I'm looking at right now. It's normally in, like, the first ten pages um, after the letters column. Okay. Yeah, because I was thinking that sounds exactly like something that would be made for you yeah it's it's normally pretty good you know it's normally the it, it, it normally is like the lead up to the joke is oh, and then they wind up dropping a quote from a doctor who story but in a different context but um yeah that's liberation of the daleks uh so my favorite thing about this book is so basically to solve the problem because um, the Golden Emperor, you know, has taken over the dome and has come up with a way. It's actually pretty fun. So the there's like for sci-fi reasons, the Daleks could go through a special portal to get turned into actual physical beings on the other side of it in like our reality. But in order to do so, they'd have to do a whole lot of math. Like, the, the calculations would be insane and would take thousands of years, so what's the point in trying? And so the Daleks take advantage of the fact that they are essentially in the Matrix to just create all the mathematicians to do all the math for them. And so as we have the Daleks from the 60s comics invading the real world and attacking Earth, the Doctor goes into all the other different worlds and teams up with all the other leaders of the different Daleks. And starts a big, massive Dalek civil war because, of course, none of these Daleks are going to have solidarity with each other. Like, it's especially funny considering these Daleks are cloned off of the same Dalek. Like, this is literally the same Dalek every single time. Like, the way that they have this place set up is they have, was it 12 different Dalek mutants who were all cloned from this one Dalek mutant they found? 
who they've plugged into these matrices in order to make these Dalek empires and like the different versions of Dalek realities. I do love the visuals we get of it too, of like the doctor discovering one of the Daleks that is essentially wired up, strung up in, you know, just one of your standard cool looking sci-fi tubes where they're presumably in some sort of fluid or whatever for whatever sort of biological stasis state or you know hand wave the science but just like we love a cool fish tank and it's specifically like the meat of the Dalek removed from its casing so it is this octopus like beast just floating in a tank attached to various wires which as we've talked about in the Daleks before, they're they're sort of octopus-looking or starfish-looking sort of inner bodies always look very cool. And this also just adds more to the fucked-up moral reality of just, like, the setup of how this entertainment company is run where, you know, not to feel bad for the Daleks but the entire crux of this operation is that they literally have these sentient beings drugged the fuck up and just are exploiting their powers for profit with these imprisoned like brainwash perpetually asleep Dalek clones it's really funny to me that um, so this is the third time Alan Barnes has written for the Daleks. Um, and the other two times have been audio stories. And one of them is called Brotherhood of the Daleks, which is literally about a guy using um, chemicals and brainwashing techniques to t- try and brainwash a whole bunch of Daleks out of their like Dalek fascism into being communists. I would be up for reading that whenever it's Doctor Who time again. Oh, it's it's an audio story, so it unfortunately doesn't fall within the bounds of this podcast. Oh, right. My bad. Sorry. You said that. No, you're I'm fine. Just, I'm just tired. Yeah, the other two times he's written for Daleks has been for audio, and one of them is, yes, uh, yet another story where you're like, you kind of feel bad for these Daleks because they're being, again, sliced into the Matrix, essentially. God, now I'm look, trying to remember... The other one I've he's written, I've listened to, but I can't remember it very well. I think that's a one where Daleks are brainwashing people into thinking Daleks don't exist, which I guess is kind of the reverse of these other two stories where people are trying to brainwash Daleks. But the point is, he really likes doing this. Did we also note the difference in size between the different types of Daleks as at various points in their plans they like come and go out of the TARDIS successfully except when the Golden Emperor tries to he's not able to because his grand golden ornamentation is too large and he gets stuck in the door so the doctor slams the door in his face So I had been debating whether we were going to cover this comic for a while. And the reason I said, okay, no, we have to do it was when I read the final part and realized that the only reason the Doctor succeeds at the end of the story is that the Golden Emperor is too fucking wide to fit into the TARDIS in order to force the Doctor to take him with him on an escape plan. (laughs) That is a level of brilliance that I just was not expecting. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's great. I love a Dalek that can't fit through a door. I mean, practically speaking, in terms of the TV show, I hate it. They tried it once, and I'm one of those people who doesn't like it. But in the other media, I'm like, yes, please, give me a really silly-looking Dalek. It fits for the Emperor. Yeah, I mean, most Emperors are, like... I mean, you see the Emperor from Evil of the Daleks in this a bunch, who's the really big, tall, sort of tower one. It, it with the white and the like black pattern on him and you know most of the time the emperors whenever we do see them they're like that you know that they're, they're, they're just a 
giant fucker who's plugged into a city or a spaceship or something. And like, this Dalek just doesn't move, is the vibe you get. They just sit there and they shout. And that is all this Dalek does. The ultimate Dalek is the big shouty one. So I, I kind of always love that the Emperor Dalek from those 60s comics, you know, he runs around all the time. But also, you're just like, yeah, but if you were anywhere but the Dalek city, you would not be able to fit through the doors. <laughs> and then he can. What a great ending. But yes, the Doctor just drives all of these different Daleks against each other, basically just as a distraction, so he can use some Dalek weaponry to blow up the big moon filled with all the mathematicians that these Daleks have created to do all the maths they need. So just all the Daleks just immediately turn back into like the psychic goop that they were made out of. Oh, we haven't even mentioned that all the staff at the Dalek don't look like animals. Yeah, there's like a throwaway line early on about how this present company sort of stemmed from an original company that was a zoo and the staff genetically modified themselves to be animals to help keep their jobs somehow but yeah they all it look used like, to be like a zoo yeah they're all just like talking gorillas and lions um like the level of visual insanity that is here just because they wanted to do an insane visual is great uh my other favorite thing is the dalek wedding where that you can have a wedding officiated by a dalek with a bunch of like hearts on on it wearing like a cape that's another one of the best Dalek designs throughout this. Yeah, the romance Dalek. I fantastic. That's like what the fuck in universe? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Out of universe, great. I I wish I had done this for my wedding. The plunger pointing at you and saying that you can kiss your spouse. <laughs> kiss or be exterminated. Of course, there's an obligatory point where some of the first Daleks to sort of make the cross from what we just keep calling the Matrix into reality, where a bunch of the patrons to this place just think that it's part of the show and they all just surround them and are begging to be exterminated. <laughs> yeah, and, and the doctor's just like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, these are real Daleks, so... <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the trivialization of these, I, I, like, I that bit here, it's like, they've trivialized Daleks so much that people do not recognize the real thing once it's there. Yeah. The, because the aesthetic is now just seen as artifice, when the real thing shows up, all the signifiers you could have to know that you're really in danger are gone. So you can't tell anymore. This is why Daleks are great. And why even silly Dalek stories can be, like, pretty serious and well thought out. Because this is a very silly Dalek story. But then you say something like that, and you're like, oh, yeah, this does actually have something to say. You know, because all you have to do is just take the word Dalek and replace it with fascist or Nazi. And then you're like, oh, right, that's what the story's talking about. <laughs> For pretty much any sequence. Yeah, which I think is one of the aspects that helps this be one of the most successful Doctor Who comics we've talked about on the show. I wish they did the Daleks more often in comics. As I, as I said, this is the first one in 20 years, I think, outside of the um, one book that they, were in, they got to do for Titan Comics, which wasn't any good. Just because of the art. The writing was fine. It was by Jodie Halter, who did the, the 13th Doctor comics that we read. And it was written just fine, but, you know, I really didn't like the art. I, I specifically didn't like the Daleks. To put the rest of the art was fine. But Lee Sullivan draws the hell out of these Daleks. The fact that I'm flicking through this and I'm very easily able to recognize, you know, every single different design, that's that's great. I mean, the level of detail on these things, whenever he's doing, like, the new series Daleks and they have all the little rivets and bolts that they have 
you know, you see the close-ups of the eye stalk, and they've got the little like ridge round ridges around the outside. There's this really tiny detail. All their plunges having the two sort of weird rings right behind them, but before the rest of the little plunger arm. You know, there was a lot of time put in to make these things recognizable. And I mean, a lot of that is, yeah, this is this is the the fan wank of Doctor Who Dalek comics. You know, they've got everything in there. I think just about everything shows up except for weirdly the very original Dalek design from the 1960s on television. Like we see the ones from the late 60s, but not the one from like 63 and not the original design that invaded Earth, but everybody else shows up as well as some new stuff. I really I'm there's the Daleks who look like they have like winged helmets. They're like the Valkyrie Daleks or something. I, I do not know what those are from. If they're from something. they I guess they could have made them up for this. Well, there's also the Daleks that literally have a, like, World War One German helmet, like, spike sticking out of their heads. It's rare that I don't know what a Dalek thing is referencing, because I'm, I'm such a Dalek obsessive. One might say you're a Dalek, Chris. Yes, well, <laughs> that is that is my YouTube channel where if you are interested in me and Daleks, I have ranked all the designs. Um, I've come up with my own redesign of the Paradigm Daleks from 2010 who do appear in this comic. Um, not my redesign, obviously, but like that design does show up. Uh, I have a, a, a new design for a Dalek that's going to be getting shown off in a video that's already out when you're listening to this i i i am yeah i'm a huge dalek person i think daleks are great daleks are easily my favorite doctor who like monsters and my favorite dalek villain if you have to name individual characters is davros who is the guy who created the daleks so yeah i'm one of those people i'm one of those doctor who fans well, actually, the only other Daleks who really don't show up are the ones from the 13th Doctor's era. They did, um, there was, for two of her stories, there was a unique design that showed up for a bit, which were Daleks who, well, one of them was just a single Dalek who built itself a new casing out of, like, scrap metal and junk, and then some humans later made more Daleks in casings based on that design, but made, like, by, like, a company in a factory. So they were sort of similar proportions, but just, like, very uh, different texturing. And it's a little bit of a shame to me that we have a couple Daleks where either they were made up for this comic or they're referencing something really obscure, and then the one other sort of big Dalek design we've had in New Who, and we had fairly recently, doesn't get to make an appearance. I do suppose while those Daleks have a big impact on screen, in the context of Daleks in universe, that is one Dalek and then a bunch of Daleks who took over half of the Earth for like an afternoon before they got beaten, and none of them exist after that. So, but Still, would have been nice to see that. There's there's my criticism for the story. That's like the one I can manage. Yeah. Everything right now feels sort of disinterested in diving into 13th Doctor stuff. So much as just either jumping way back or just looking ahead as every time that I'm in the app that we're looking at for these i specifically just keep looking at the cover to doctor who magazine number 596 which entrances me to meet the meep <laughs> uh yes beep the meep is coming back or i guess when you're listening to this beep the meep is back and he's on disney plus go check that out it's probably good i have 11 days to go i'm dying <laughs> Yeah, although I guess now that I've derailed us, are there any more points on this story we should talk about before we get too far off track? Um, 
I guess the one major element we haven't really talked about is uh, Georgie. Either Georgie, the two Georgies that we have, the um, the one who is the the military woman who's part of the staff who run the Dalek Dome, and then the uh, the sort of duplicate of her from the we keep calling it the Matrix. Be sort of the moral heart of it in terms of you know just like the obvious criticism of this entertainment company because while we talked a little bit about you know the literal enslavement of the daleks and you know that being morally fucked up to a certain degree you know just like as a reader reading a piece of work that's just you know in sci-fi tradition and specifically within the context of dozens of stories just about the Daleks you know it would be easy to just sort of hand wave that aspect and just be like yeah but you know it's a made-up story and the Daleks are all assholes but Georgie's presence sort of provides a little room to more seriously and explicitly dive into also just the fact that this company is basically creating consciousnesses and wiping them the fuck out every time that they reload the hologram program as the guests just watch people everywhere getting blown up by Dalek lasers. So she naturally, of course, does not, in fact, want to melt into goo. Yeah, the um, the Georgie character and, like, basically the Doctor meets a woman in the 60s and um, when the Dalek stuff starts going down, she runs into the TARDIS and she has this whole revelation where basically she finds out that She's a essentially a computer program, like a computerized duplicate of the real Georgie, who is this lady who works at the Dalek Dome. And I I do I quite like that when she realizes that she's going to turn into goo and no one cares except for the doctor who like cares but is currently dealing with Daleks killing lots of people, which is just more important. You know, like, priorities is stopping the Daleks, and second priority is this one person. And so she attempts to have, like, hologram goo people solidarity with the Daleks, which obviously doesn't work out for anyone, and is why all the Daleks are able to escape later. But, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I do think it works, especially in terms of just, like, you're right, when you read the Daleks, it's just like, yeah, but they're little shitters, though. Like, I, I, you feel bad for the Daleks in the context that you default know you should feel bad for anyone trapped in the Matrix. But if anyone's going to be trapped in the Matrix and it's okay, it's a fucking Dalek. Yeah, which again just goes back to the, these are a transparent Nazi allegory of it all. All they do is roll around yelling about racial purity. That's the whole day. That's everything on their schedule. Just yelling about racial purity and shooting people. Oh, I didn't mention the funny stilt Daleks. We get exactly one panel of stilt Daleks in a marsh. Delightful. Daleks finally have legs. Whenever Daleks do have legs, they either have like eight legs because they're a spider Dalek, or they have real long legs because they're a stilt Dalek. I'm trying to find where that's at. It's uh in 595. They go to this jungle planet. Well, it's it's Spiridon, which is from a classic Doctor Who story. The stilt Daleks are not, but they're designed to look kind of like classic Daleks, except they have stilts. <laughs> All right, these. It has sort of a War of the Worlds sort of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the dedication to just doing as many, like, weird, different Dalek things as possible. I, I That is still, as a Doctor Who fan, that does wind up being the main draw of this story. Um, I will say, it doesn't really offer anything, like, 
the Fourteenth Doctor, I've I've said that he's not really written quite like the Tenth Doctor, and I've kind of compared some of his mannerisms to Thirteen, which I like as a detail. But overall, he's written as the generic Doctor Who comics Doctor, who is you know more inspired by stuff like the Fourth Doctor, um, back in the star original version of the Star Beast. Or any version of like the fifth or sixth or seventh doctors during those comic eras where they weren't trying that hard to differentiate the different doctors personality wise. And, you know, all of these artists and creators were working on more using the doctor as a way to just tell a fun, pulpy sci fi story. And this doctor does have a lot of those vibes to him. So, in terms of this having, like, the gimmick where it opens, and this is the first 14th Doctor story, that aspect of it's fine. I don't think it's going to be essential for anyone planning on watching the upcoming specials featuring David Tennant. Uh, this, the ending of this, which basically some of the psychic goo is now on the console of the TARDIS, which is still the 13th Doctor's ugly-ass TARDIS, which surprises me, although the Doctor has lost the 13th Doctor's kind of ugly sonic screwdriver. But um, the Doctor is hoping that it hasn't jammed up the first fast return switch because he doesn't want to go back to Scarrow, which is where the TARDIS had materialized last in the story was the, um, the 60s Dalek comics version of Scarrow. We do know that the as of recording, there's going to be a special five-minute Children in Need thing coming out starring David Tennant in five days. And we know that that is also a Dalek story, and it is set on Scarrow. I don't know what on earth you can do in five minutes that is a Dalek story on Scarrow, their like home planet. But um, I guess this comic leads directly into it. I'll also note the final panel feels very TV reminiscent because it's this pan out to the TARDIS zooming through the sort of spirally space-time effect. Yeah, the time vortex. This is a weird visual for it. I, I, I can't, I mean, one of the weird things about this coming out right now is we don't know what the time vortex is going to look like because it normally looks like the title sequence. And obviously we haven't seen the new title sequence yet. We know there's going to be a new one. We have a new logo and we have a new main theme tune. And so like the, the, the reference for this shot that you would normally have, especially nowadays, whenever anyone does a comic, I mean, we talked about this uh, last time we did Doctor Who where we had, um, because the 12th Doctor's title sequence was filled with clockwork, all of a sudden, all of the side media, whenever anyone entered the time vortex, it was like spiraling clock faces and clockwork instead of the usual, you know, a different kind of trippy visuals. But yeah, this like weird, really up-to-date story. I am surprised that the 13th Doctor's TARDIS interior did not get blown up, because that set, in the real world, got dismantled immediately. The first thing that happened after they filmed and, like, finished filming for the 13th Doctor was they took that set apart. People walked off with bits of it. And so I was expecting this story to get rid of it because they've built a new one for these new stories. But I guess whatever happens to change the interior of the TARDIS again is going to happen in the television show, maybe? But this story did get rid of the sonic screwdriver, and we know the Doctor's going to have a new one in those, too, because they've already released and sold out of a toy of it. Did you manage to get one? No. No, I did not. Welp. Yeah, I've I've already angrily uh, left comments on their Twitter page about how literally the day after they released it, it had already sold out and was being sold for four times the price on eBay by people who didn't even have it yet. Which just tells me that they're going about releasing these things all wrong. You shouldn't have... Not everything should be a limited release. 
oddly enough, especially not the most popular Doctor Who toy, which is the Sonic Screwdriver. That's always been the most popular Doctor Who toy ever since the show came back and they started making toy ones. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe they'll make more, but they haven't said anything about it yet, so... Now that we're talking about toys, should we pivot to next week? Yes. Yes. So, as I continue to strike things off of my list of characters and franchises that you have not yet personally got familiar with now that we've discussed digimon next week we will be discussing your first ever moon knight comics we're gonna be reading two issues of the og moon knight solo series by writer Doug Monch and artist Bill Sienkiewicz. I believe this will be our first time discussing a work by either of them as well. And we are going to be reading specifically issues number 14 and number 24, which I know sounds strange to have that gap, but when you read them, you'll understand why we are reading those two paired together. In the meantime, go watch the new Doctor Who specials, go acquaint yourself with Beep the Meep, and Moon Knight next week. Bye.